Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Hand on your heart. Welcome home today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so incredible. God, we just thank you, God, that you are in this place. And not for a minute was I forsaken, because God, you are in this place. And God, I thank you right now that you're touching every heart, you're touching every life in this place right now. You're just moving. And God, I pray that you would do such a work inside of each and every one of us. We love you, we praise you, we adore you in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. High five two people around you and say, Liverpool better beat Tottenham today. Liverpool better... Some of you are like, what, what's, what's that mean? My team, Liverpool, are the best team. They're playing Pastor Pete's team, Tottenham, today. So that's English soccer, real sport right there. Football, real football. And so there's just a little bit of competition going on. Pete reckons he heard from God. And I said, man, I heard from God before you. And so we're just playing. But even we, get, we hugged each other and said, no matter what, we still love each other. So it's okay. It's okay. So Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Wow, this has been a great journey. And today we're talking about living a relationship with God. Living a relationship with God. When I wrote down those words as a title on the top of the page, right under it I wrote these words. I wonder how many people are in a relationship with God. Their their relationship with God, they're just living a relationship with God instead of in a relationship with God. Are you in a relationship or are you in relationship? Because to me, if it's a relationship with God, it can imply that there could be other relationships too that could be welcome. That God's part of it, but he's maybe not all of it. But when I'm in relationship, that's saying I'm exclusive with God. I'm all in with God. And that's our prayer today, that you go all in with God. Because Galatians chapter 4 is a great one, and I'm really enjoying this. Anyone enjoying this series and just learning from God's Word and drawing? Because it's relevant and practical truth that can be added to our lives each and every day. So what is Galatians? Galatians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Apostle meant he was a church planter. He wasn't a pastor. He was a church planter. He took the gospel message, Christ crucified, to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people. He took it to the Gentiles. And in this particular Gentile area that we would call Galatia, it wasn't to a particular church he would write this letter, but to a group of churches in 55 to 56 AD, after the death of Christ. And it would be an area today that would be modern day Turkey to us. And the main purpose for him writing the whole book of Galatians was this, as correction. 
He was correcting them because some Jews had come from Jerusalem, Judaizers had come, and they had tried to bring the law back to those who were now living in freedom. And they said, the cross isn't enough, you need to still have the law. And one particular law they were trying to bring back was the law of circumcision. We've laughed about this every week. That's not a great church growth strategy. If you need to be in God, you've got to be circumcised. We wouldn't have many people signing up for our growth track and wanting to be a part of church. But that's what religion does. It excludes people. It cuts people off. It doesn't want everyone to be involved. So Paul is correcting them for falling back into a state of bondage. And that can so easily happen. Here's our theme verse, Galatians 5, verse 1. It says, it is for freedom, Paul says, that Christ has set us free. So we've got to stand firm in the freedom, is the thought. And do not let yourself be once again burdened or ensnared in a yoke of slavery. The gospel of grace came. There was freedom that they felt in their life, a relief. (sighs) Just a breath of fresh air came in to their life and their walk with God. But then the law tried to come back in to quash that, to quench that, to take that. So in Galatians chapter 1, as he says, I marvel that you've so quickly turned to another gospel. We discussed that there are actually two gospels, two different brands of gospels. There's the true gospel and then the gospel of this world. We labeled it and talked about it being the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. That God wants us to live in life. So the first week we asked the question, how can I become more Christ-like? And if you missed any of these messages, please catch up. Week number two, we asked the question, how can I stop going back? Because it seems between the tree, the gospel of life, and the world, and the gospel of the knowledge of good and evil, there seems to be a vine. There's a swing. And so many times we go from life back to death. We go from blessing and freedom back to bondage and and denial and, and defeat and damnation. So how do we do that? Paul tells us, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ. We've got to crucify self, the flesh, And the world, a daily decision that we need to make to quash those feelings. I don't always feel like being saved. I don't always feel like making the right decisions. I've got to kill the wrong feelings that are going to steer me the wrong way. I love this. Logan is in the house today. Logan's like, what, nine? How old is Logan? Eight. He's eight. He'll be nine next birthday. And when I preached this message two weeks ago, he turned to his mum when I said the words, you, you have to die. He turned to his mum, eight-year-old, and he says, I don't want to die. I've got things to do. <laughs> and come on, you've got things to do. And the only way you can do them is by living. And there's only one way to live, and that's through the crucified life. Last week, we looked at God's grace, the gospel, and we looked at what is the gospel? What is the truth of the gospel discovering that grace is an inner miracle that wants to happen inside of us that will change our life. But in order to experience that, you've got to trust. It's more than a belief system. You've got to put your life into it. You've got to trust that. We gave you an acrostic, remember, last week for grace. G, what stood for free gift. R stood for it's received by faith. A, that it's available to anyone. C, Christ, it only comes through Christ. And E, it's eternal. It's in us, past, present and future, the grace that God has for us. So today we want to talk about living 
in relationship with God. Say that with me, living in relationship with God. And we're going to discover what that says or how that's labeled in Galatians 4 is sonship, sonship, sonship. So here's the question today that we're going to answer. How can I be a son? How can I be a son of God? And I'm telling you, this part, chapter 4, is the gears that connects it all together. Because you can have the tree of life, you can be living a crucified, you can have grace, but this is what connects it all together. And if you leave this out, nothing else is going to work. It's not going to fall in place. It is all for this purpose, to be living a relationship with God. Why? Because God is what? He's not in religion, but He's in relationship. God wants to relate. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the relationship or the religion, rather, that man had tried to make and fabricate in order to reach God. And he came once again to bring back relationship. And so how we approach him, how we come to him, how we know him is vitally important. And all you ladies in the house, don't feel that you've been left out because when we talk about sonship, Galatians 3 verse 26 tell us, for we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So you're a son too. Son, watch out. You're all. So we are included in that. So let's begin reading Galatians chapter 4 and we're going to start in verse 4. And read through verse 7, and it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, the best gift that heaven could give, who was born of a woman, born under the law, born in the flesh, born in law. What does that mean? He experienced everything that you and I experienced. He didn't have a sin nature like us, but He came to experience what we experience. And I love that because that means when I go to God, he knows exactly what I'm feeling. And he knows exactly the answer for that feeling and the way of escape. Verse 5, so he could redeem those, you and I, who are under the law to buy us back, the thought redeemed means, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts so you can cry out, Abba, Father. Notice what he sent. He didn't set a set of rules or regulations. Follow these and you can know me. He sent his spirit, capital S, and experienced a feeling, something that we could have inside of us that would cause us to respond to God in what way? Dad, Abba, Father. So we've got to have that spirit inside of us so we can call him Abba, Father. This was so new to them. If we've been around church or been brought up in church, most of us know God as our Father. He's our Father, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. But many people that Paul was talking to and addressing in this particular letter, they didn't understand God in that way. They didn't have a relational image of God. They had a religious image of God. And the God that they knew was a God in heaven that spoke with thunderings and lightnings. That he was a pillar and he was a cloud and a pillar by fire. And he was that man. Do you realize this? In the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say or speak the whole name Yahweh of God. 
For what reason? A fear that God would strike them down in their unholiness or in their, because they weren't holy enough to even mention his name. That was the image they had of God. But Paul's now saying, hold on a second, here he is. He wants to be your heavenly father, your Abba Father. He's not distant, he wants to be in relationship with you. And go on in verse 7, he says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but you are now a son. And if a son, then you are an heir to God through Christ. You're not a slave, but you are a son. Remember the question, how can I be a son? Because many of us, I believe, have chosen to operate in our relationship with God in the wrong place. We still feel that we're a slave, that we have to prove ourselves that we still have to be good enough. We operate in the wrong way instead of realizing he has called us to be a son. Let me show you some differences today. A slave has a master. A master that must be obeyed or else. You you do whatever you do because you have to please the master. When he says do it, you have to just do it. How do you approach a master as a slave? On your knees, you, you, you're, you're humbling yourselves before them. You are face down before them. That's not the way God wants us to approach him. We don't, he doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He doesn't want to be this master figure over us and we take one step wrong and bam, he's just wiped us out. But what the son has is a father. The slave has a master, the son has a father. Oh, he's still a leader, he's still a master, but it's a different perception. Because think of a father, he wants to play with his children. He wants to have them up on his lap. He wants to buy them candy, take them on vacations, do everything he can to have fun. You see, Jesus was so radical to them. What religion had taught them was, oh, I've got to worship him, he's master. Where Jesus was saying, no, I want, to be, I want you to be my sons and daughters. I want to be a father to you. Jesus was a kid magnet. Did you know that? Everywhere Jesus went, kids were like crawling all over him. The disciples were pushing him down. And Jesus was like, no, let them come. One thing I've realized in life is this. You can't fool a kid. When you see someone, when people sign up and say, I'm good with kids, man, I watch and see how they are with kids. Because if kids are hanging off of them, then they're good. But if kids are like repelled from them, I don't care how good you think you are. You ain't got it. Jesus had it. Jesus had it. He came with such a revolutionary way. How could this be the Son of God? Because He's eaten with sinners. Kids are hanging up. He's a fun guy to be with. That's what He came to be. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, The Spirit you received, there it is again, the experience, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, that you're afraid of God. But rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we can now cry, Abba, Father. Because the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Abba, Father, Daddy. The most endearing way that we can call him Daddy or Dad. Mr. Huss, an incredible guy, if you've been in our church for more than about six years, you would know him. He was my best man at my wedding. Just an incredible guy that I loved. He said these words. He said, I've had many titles in my life, but the greatest title I've ever had is dad. 
You, you know how that makes you feel. Oh, it just makes you warm and fuzzy inside when you hear those words, dad. That word, dad. And the type of relationship you have with someone is seen by how you call them. I have people call me up on the phone and say, um, excuse me, is um, Mr. Pimperlot, I'm like Pimlot, it's pretty easy. But when I know someone's struggling to say my last name, I know that they're probably someone who has no knowledge of me whatsoever. Or if someone wants to say, Reverend, can you help me? Yeah, they've probably heard of me, but they don't know me. But then there's people who call me Pastor Philip. So they're in a deeper relationship with me. But then there's those who would just call me pastor. There's those who would call me Philip. There's those who would call me P. There's those who call me dad. There's one who calls me a sexy hunk. (laughs) But what do I say is, notice what happens as it gets more casual, as it gets more informal. Guess what? The intimacy grows. And so how do you address God? When you pray to God, how do you, do you come to him like a slave? Oh God, thou wast thinest greatest praying King James. Or do you say, hey dad, I need help. Because what you call him determines the level of relationship that you have with him. He doesn't want to be distant. He wants you to say, hey dad, what's up? What's up? So how do you address God? Here's what we know about a slave too. A slave is an employee. A slave is an employee. There's nothing worse than someone who is just there for a paycheck. You ever been in a restaurant or something and there's someone that you know they don't want to be there and they show it. And it's like you have inconvenienced them. Can I have another Coke? Yeah. And you're like, what? I'm paying your tip. I'm paying your salary. What's up? But that's what a lot of people are. They're just an employee. They're just there. They're just for, it's not my responsibility. Man, I'm going to walk past. That's not my responsibility. Why? Because they have no skin in the game. As a lead team, we've been studying Disney because there's such an incredible, second to no one in the world, Disney does it the best, if you've ever been. It's not just an employee. They're welcome home. You're part of the family. They do such a good job in that because to them it's not just a job. But for many people when there's no ownership and there's no skin in the game, then all it is is just your relationship with God is just like that. You're just an employee. Yes, sir. No, sir. Oh, I've got to check in for church on a Sunday. I've got to pay my dues. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I'm telling you, as a bonus today, are you ready? Here's a bonus to you today. You need to work like you own your company. The company you work like, you need to work like you own it. And I'm not talking about making all the decisions because you think you're better than the boss. I'm talking about following every decision that's given to you. You need to be the hardest worker wherever you're at. But the slave is an employee, but the son, what? He's an heir. He's an heir. We're owners. We're partners in this in Christ. Everything that God has, guess what? It's available for you and I. But did you realize the Bible says, I think it's in Luke 10, somewhere in there. It's in the Bible, I know that. But you know that the Bible says this, that if you cannot be faithful in that which is another man's, that God will not bless you with that which is your own. So you know what that means? If I can't be faithful to work for someone, then why should I be faithful to have other people working for me? If I can't be a faithful employee, how will I ever be a faithful employer? And so I've got to get it right. But the son is an heir. Galatians 4, 7 says that we are an heir through Christ. 
You've got to see it as yours. When you see it as yours, you respond differently. And that's what we're trying to teach here. We, we want you to have an owner's mentality in this church. We're trying to build a culture for that. We want you to come in here and say, man, this is my church. Because when you come in here and you say it's my church, then you realize that piece of trash on the floor is yours too. So that means you've got to pick it up and put it in a trash can. You don't just walk past it and go, that's not my responsibility. Hold on a second. I own this joint. I, I'm going to take care of that. If the chairs aren't quite straight, I'm going to be straightening those chairs. And, and I'm going to be holding doors open. And, and that's my band. And that's my... Man, when you've got ownership in something, you treat it so differently. In Grove Track in week number one, and we share the vision of our church, another point of week number one is we want you to be a member of this church. We ask you to send, sign a membership covenant. We don't hold you to that, but here's why we do that. Because we think it's important for you to belong. That you can realize this is where I belong. This is where I need to be. Romans eight seventeen. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. And we are heirs of God. And we are co-heirs with Christ. Part of everything that God has is available to you. Man, I'm God's kid. I said, I'm God's kid. That's mine. And I need to lay claim of that. But remember, God has everything available for us to use, not to abuse. There's a lot of abuse when it comes to the things of God. Blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, all these things. It's abuse. Where God gives us those things to use. So how do we abuse it? Here's how we abuse it. Are you ready? We've got to realize first and foremost, it's not just for you. But it's a tool for you to use to touch other people. So in other words, what am I saying? You are blessed in order to be a blessing. And that's why some people don't have, maybe you today, that you don't have because you don't give. Giving is generosity, not abundance. Well, when I have, I give. No, generosity gives nothing. The lady with the two coins was generous above and beyond everyone else because she gave above. You don't need to have much to be generous with. You can be generous right where you're at. But character, it's character, not action. What do I mean? It's who you are, not what you do. And a lot of people miss that. You are an heir of God. There's blessings that God wants to give you. He'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings you won't be able to contain it. For what reason? Not for waste. Because God's given you a seed to sow into other people. And when God knows He can get it through you, God knows He can get it to you. Let me say that again. When God knows He can get it through you, that you're a conduit to pass it on, then God will get it to you. A lot of dead seas. You know what the dead sea is? Everything flows in, but nothing flows out. And there's a lot of deadness. There's a lot of stagnation in in the church today because bless me, bless me, bless me. But I want to be a blessing. I want to be a recipient so I can be a sower, so I can give. You see, God won't give to you if he doesn't know he can trust you. Because you've got to be a steward. So, oh yeah, you're an heir. But you've got to be trusted with those things. You've got to be able to be trusted because God's not going to give you what you can't handle. God's not going to bless you. If you can't pay your tithes on 10 bucks, you'll never pay your tithes on 100 bucks. If you can't pay on 100, you'll never pay on 10,000. Come on now, I'm preaching truth to you today. And last week we talked about grace. Thanks, Pete. We talked about grace last week. And let me clarify some things about grace. 
And I'm leading to the third thought about a slave versus a son. So I'm just setting the scene for this. We so often feel that people need to change. Have you ever looked at people and said they need to change? And so what we've said is, hey man, they, they need to change. God, they need to do something and that the grace should wait till there's evidence in their life. There, there's got to be a change that takes place. You know, here's what you've got to understand. Grace has to be free. Because nothing else sustainable can happen till you till grace happens. Pastor Pete talked about that you can have a soda, but you're never going to quench the thirst without water. And so we can try to quench the thirsts of our life, but until grace truly happens inside of us, nothing, a change is not going to be sustainable. We're going to be on that cycle and we're going to find ourselves right the way back around again. But God wants to break that cycle. Grace wants to break that cycle. Remember, grace is the miracle, the transformation that wants to happen inside of us. Not a belief system, but a transformation. And so what you've got to understand is this. Grace is not a license to do nothing. Well, I'm under the grace of God. Great. But I believe there needs to be fruit for what's happening in your life. You need to grow. You need to develop. You need to change. But you don't have to do something first. The first step is grace. Because if you're trying to do something to earn that, then you're back under the law and you can never fulfill the law because if you fail on one thing, you've failed the whole thing. So the first step has to be grace because I'm not good enough to keep His commandments. But then, after grace, comes obedience. It's not the law, it's obedience. I want to do, not I have to do. See the difference? So now in grace, doesn't mean now I just sit back and do nothing. Now I am actively pursuing a relationship with God, living a pleasing life. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And I'm telling you, get ready to be blown away by the scripture of God right now. Because these verses may be two of the most powerful verses that you'll almost read. These should be in your top 10 of scriptures. Listen to what it says. Providing and proving the point that what James speaks about, that faith without works is dead. It's not the works that produces my faith. That's an act of grace. By grace am I saved. But through grace, there's now fruit. There's now evidence. There's now a life that I'm living. So look what Philippians says. It says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away from you, it is even more important to not slack off. That's what he's saying. It's even more important to follow the instructions. And here's what you've got to do. He said, it's even more important for you to work hard to show the result of your salvation. Notice you're working hard as a result of your salvation. You're not working hard to produce your salvation. Let me say it another way. I cannot earn it because if I try by the law, I was never good enough. Jesus came to pay the price once and for all. For us, he was without sin. He paid the price. But now Paul is saying, now I'm in it and I've given my life. I need to work and make sure that there is fruit that there are works or a result of my relationship, not to salvation, but through salvation. Obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. Here it is, verse 13. For God is working 
in you. It's like the pedals on a bike. God wants to work with you. Come on, we're pedaling together, God. We haven't done the salvation. That's an act of grace. But now we're going down the hill and the pedals are going. There's something that needs to happen in our lives. Look, for God is working in you, giving you the, say with me, desire. Wow. And the power to do what is pleasing to Him. Thank you, God, that because of the act of grace and salvation. God, I can now work hard in that, doing that. And God, you are giving me the desire and the power to be able to what? Do what pleases Him. There's a change of desire. No longer following the flesh, but now I'm following the Spirit of God. A desire change. And that's key for our lives. Because if we don't have a desire change, it's all about religion. What can I do and how much can I do? But when there's a desire, God, I want to do it. What an honor to serve you. What a privilege to serve you. So what am I saying? Relationship produces desire. But desire doesn't produce relationship. From a relationship with God, a desire will come. If you've got no desire to live for God, you've got no relationship with God. What? Because God says that you will have a desire and power to please Him. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. So here's the third point. Are you ready? A slave is driven by duty. You have to do it. Demand, have to, you have no choice. You've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray, you've got to go to church, you've got to tithe. All those things are important, but if you're trying to do them to find God, you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to find yourself mad because you're going to find yourself tired and wore out because you've got to get up at five in the morning and pray for three hours before you get to work. Come on, come on. That's not what God is forcing upon you. If that's the desire you have to do that and God's given you that, thank you, God. But notice a slave is driven by duty, but a son is driven by devotion. Devotion. Look at the story of two sisters and that show you the difference between duty and devotion. The story of Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. Notice this, who also sat. So the implication is, at one time Mary or Martha was sitting there too. She was sitting with her sister because Mary also sat at the feet of Jesus. But, the next verse, Martha was distracted with much serving, doing, duty. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Jesus, come on, get her, get, tell her to get in the kitchen and start helping us. And Jesus turned to Martha and he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen, say with me, chosen chosen that good part which will never be taken away from her. Notice this, one was working, one was worshipping. Oh, they both loved God, but one was trying to show their love by their duty and by their performance and by what they were doing. 
but one tried to show their love by surrender and worship and desire for God. You see, the best choice that you can make in your life is not education. The best choice you can make in your life is not your career. The best choice you can make is not what spouse and who you need to marry. The best choice that you make in life is not whether we should have kids or not. The best choice is Jesus. Jesus. Would you choose Jesus? I have a desire for you, Jesus. Back to Galatians chapter 4 and picking up in verse 8 and 9. But then indeed, when you did not know God, You served those by which nature are not God's. You had the wrong response to God. You didn't know him as Abba Father. You didn't know that level of intimacy. So therefore, you served him. You tried to fulfill the law. You tried to do that which was dead. You tried to go to the tree of knowledge, the wrong gospel. Verse now, but now that you know God, or rather you are known by God, how is it that now you want to turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. Paul is really saying this. Why do you want? Why is your desire for the wrong stuff? It didn't work before and it won't work again. So let's look at three ways today that we can truly know God. Is that cool? First way is this, how we see God. How you see with your eyes. You see, you've got to see God as your father. You've got to see God as your father. You see, your view of God is going to determine the relationship you have with God. So if you don't see him as father, then you're never going to be able to come to him as father. Matthew 7, 9 through 11 says, You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, you earthly parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, give good gifts to His children who ask of Him? Again, Jesus is just blowing them away with this. I mean, Paul, just they have no image of God like this. He's like lightning and thunder and oh. But he's saying, look, men of this world, we as parents, we want to give the best. But how much more does your heavenly father, God, want to give to you good gifts? Daddy, daddy. And you know, that creates a problem for some people. Because when you think of an earthly dad, it's not a good picture. Maybe that dad abused you. Maybe that dad left you. Maybe they've been absent. And I truly believe this, and I've got no chapter or verse to back me up on this, but this is what I truly believe. I believe that's one of the greatest ploys that Satan has had, is to destroy the image of an earthly father. Because it's now meant that we have a destroyed image of a heavenly father. Because when we think of father, it gives shudders and chills. And like we repel against it where the image of a father, someone who is loving and kind and embraces his children and has them on his lap and cares for them and is the comfort for them. That you want to be around and daddy, help me, help me, help me. But I believe that's the ploy that Satan has had. Because when we can't relate to an earthly father, it's hard for us to relate to a 
heavenly Father. But I'm telling you right now, He is the ultimate Father. Let me say it this way. Whatever you never had in an earthly Father, He is that and so much more. He is that and so much more. And you got to see Him as that. you got to see Him as, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I can come to you. You cannot afford how you... Let me say it again. You cannot allow people to affect your relationship with God. And so if you've got an issue with your dad here, just pray that God would give you healing in that area too. So you can truly see your heavenly father. So we've got to see God as dad. Dad. Second thing is this. We've got to approach him. We don't just see him. We've got to come to him. And how do we come to God? We come to God through relationship, not rules. Through a relationship. Oh, but there has to be rules. Think about this. You're driving across the Mississippi Bridge. How many are glad for the the rails on the side and the boundaries on the side that you're not going to fall off the edge? None of you are complaining. Say, man, I hate those barriers and barricades. Man, get rid of those. They're they're spoiling the view. (laughs) No, they're there for what reason? To keep you safe. Hopefully you'll never need those, but they're there for a purpose to keep you going. That's like the rules of our life. They are there to protect us from harm. They are there to make sure we get and go where we need to go. They're not trying to ruin our day and mess us up. They're trying to protect us. In this church, we have rules. We call them procedures and systems. We have to have them in place because you can't have anarchy. You can't have anything goes. In your home, you've got rules. Kelly and I have got rules. There's bedtimes, what happens with phones and friends coming over and how you ask and and how you do. There's rules for what reason? They're not bad, but the rules are for what reason? To steer us in the right direction. But look at this. We must be careful that we do not let the rules or the structure become our main focus. They are in place for a reason that we would find relationship. Let me say that again. They are placed there so we can have peace in our homes, so we can have blessings in our homes, so we can have structure, we can have order. They are there to create relationship. Any parents in the house? Let's talk about discipline correctly. The big question is, is it for you or for your kids? You know, well, it's for our kids, but it's for us too. We like some peace too, so we discipline. But we're disciplining for our kids for what reason? We're disciplining for their teachers. We're disciplining for their future spouse, for their future employees, for their future kids. Why? Because we are preparing them and developing them and building them that they can sustain lasting relationships. Because no one wants to be around a brat. No one wants to be around a smart mouth. No one wants to give someone like that a job. So what are we doing? We are disciplining them. There's rules, there's structure in place. That's not the main focus. But the reason we're doing that is because we want them to be able to be involved in healthy, sustainable relationships when they grow old. That they can honor, that they can have obedience, that they can have love, that they can have integrity. Why? Through rules, not by rules. So we're using them to build relationship. John 5, 39 through 40 says this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Again, here we are. If I follow the rules, that's where eternal life is. Then I'll get to heaven. But John says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. It's not about the rules. It's about me. 
It's about relationship. I set things in place and boundaries for what reason? That you'll find me, that you'll realize that you need me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's about what? Relationship, not rules. When it comes to reading your Bible, come on, you don't just read, you read to find Him. Relationship. It's not just rules. When I pray, I pray, but I pray to meet him because he promises to meet me when I pray. When I serve, I do it for what reason? Not because it's rules, but when I serve, I serve alongside of him. Do you see what happens when I pray, read my Bible and serve? I am finding God. There's a relationship that comes, not by just doing rules, because we can miss the whole relationship part, which is the most important. So how we see him. Daddy. How we approach Him. Relationship. And then the third thing is what we give to Him. We've got to give Him our whole hearts. We've got to go all in with God. We've got to jump in to God. Too many people at the side of the pool just putting your toes in. Come on, you've got to jump all the way in. you just got to take that jump. On Wednesday night, first Wednesday, we've got baptismal service. If you've never been baptized, you need to sign up and be baptized. But here's what we teach and preach here. Baptism isn't for salvation, it's because of salvation. It's through salvation. Baptism is the wedding ring of salvation. It shows the world that I'm all in with God. It's that declaration, that faith statement that what's happened on the inside, you're going public with it. I'm all in with Jesus. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to go all in with Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11, probably most of you know this verse. God has a plan for me that's great to give me a future and a hope. And we thank God for that. And we put that on our mirror. But you know what? If we're going to put that on our mirror, we need to also have verse 13 and 14 on our mirror too. Because verse 13 and 14 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Not just a part. But when you give everything, then I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where you have been, and I will bring you back to the place. You, you see, we want Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, but we want it on our terms. Where God says, if you want that, and, and you're going to seek me, but the only way that you'll truly find me is when what? When you seek for me with all of your heart. I'm going to make a statement right now and you may disagree with it. But I'm telling you, I believe it's truth. And that is this. Salvation doesn't work if you don't go all in. Well, I tried God and it didn't work. You didn't go all in. (laughs) I tried God. I tried God and I gave God a little bit and I I said, God, no, you got to give him everything. You got to go all in. Because there will be a change, but in order to see the transformation, it's all in. A lot of people give God a little bit, like Pastor Pete said, you drink a soda and you have a momentary satisfaction. There's a little change, but there's not a transformation. You're going to be thirsty again. But He's the living water that you will drink of Him. You will never thirst again. You've got to go all in with God. You see, if you give God a part, you're going to experience a part. But if you give God whole, you're going to experience the whole of God. Do you want a part of God or do you want the whole of God? I've said this for many years. Many people want the hand of God and not the face of God. 
The hand of God represents what he gives and the blessings. God, I want blessings. I want you to give out to me. But the face represents who he is. Let me try and break it down this way. It's either the milk or the cow. A lot of people want a gallon of milk because I can pour that out on my cereal and I'm ready to go. It's in my refrigerator. Problem with milk is this. The gallon can run out. And if you don't drink it quick enough, it will expire. But what happens when you have the cow? You've got a constant supply. Anytime you need it, there's a constant supply. You see, when we want the hand of God, we're going after something that's temporary. When we can have the face of God, which is eternal. Come on, don't settle for just what God does. You need to know who God is. You need to have a relationship with God. And you need to go all in with God. Shared this at 9 o'clock. Asked my dad. They used to have a cow when he was a little boy. And if they wanted to have cereal, they had to go out and milk that cow. True story. And dad would tell you that that cow liked to kick that bucket over. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, you've got to go all in. Band, you can come back. What you have in your heart will change your life accordingly. What's in your heart will change the way you live. If sports is in your heart, I'm telling you right now, it's going to change the way you live. Because you're going to be wearing LSU or the Saints or whoever your team is, Liverpool. You're going to be wearing those teams. You're going to have all the clothes. You're going to have things on your mirror. Your cars are going to look like it. You're going to change your whole schedule. Oh, let me check and see if that's the game. Oh, I can't, I can't, we can't get married on that day. There's an LSU home game. When that's in your heart, that you, your life is accordingly. If it's money that's in your heart, then, then you're all about work and you're all about extra hours and, and overpay and I've got to have and have and have. Your life is going to look like that. If it's sex and lust that's in your heart, guess what? Your life is going to look like that. You're looking at the wrong things. You're engaging in the wrong relationships because you become what you have in your heart. If it's the gym and exercise, then your whole life is about fitness and what you do because what's in your heart. How about if Jesus is in your heart? How about having Jesus in your heart? How would your life look if he was in the proper place? Come on, I said, how would your life look with Jesus in the proper place? Because when he's in your heart, nothing is too much. Come on, I said, when he's in your heart, nothing is too much. Because that's total dedication. And that's what it takes to make it. If you want to make it in God, it's surrendering totally to God. Giving your whole life to God. One other statement, and I'm going to pray for you today. And that's this. Relationship changes Everything. Everything. It begins and ends with relationship. It begins a new life when we give Him our, our lives and surrender our lives with Christ, but it ends if we're not going to do that. Because the only way we can have the fullness of God is to give Him every part of our lives and to surrender to Him. Would you bow your heads all over this place?